By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello and welcome to a special joint episode of Focus on Finance and Emerging Markets Decoded. I'm Shireen Mohammadi. And I'm Danielle Reed. And we'll be your hosts for today. Today, we're joined by Donald Robertson from our North American banking team, Nick Hill from our global financial institutions team, Eugene Tarzimanov from our Asia Pacific banking team, and Scott Phillips from our global emerging markets team to talk about the rapidly evolving situation in the U.S. and European banking systems and the potential spillovers to the rest of the world. Welcome to you all. Now, a lot has happened in the global financial market since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank last week and the closures of Signature and Silvergate Banks. And I should note that we're recording this episode on Friday, March 17th. Volatility in the U.S. Treasury bond markets has substantially increased, particularly for shorter-dated maturities. The yield on two-year U.S. bonds dropped from around 5.1% on March 8th, which is the day Silvergate Bank closed, to just under 4% as of midday on Friday. We're seeing a lot of different views emerge about U.S. monetary policy, which of course has broad implications for financing conditions, and particularly so for emerging market issuers. A lot of market participants are now questioning the Fed's next policy move, with some now even going as far as expecting a rate cut at their March meeting. That's right. And amid all these developments, Moody's changed the outlook on the U.S. banking sector to negative from stable, reflecting the rapid deterioration in the operating environment that's followed the deposit runs and closures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. So, Donald, turning to you first, all the depositors in SVB and Signature Bank are able to recover their funds. And these banks were somewhat unique in the sense that their depositors were concentrated in crypto finance, technology, and venture capital. And yet Moody's has still changed the outlook on the U.S. banking system as a whole to negative. Could you explain what's driving the change? Do we expect contagion? Well, what we're looking at is broader risks to U.S. banks' asset liability management, or ALM as it's called. So even though depositors will be made whole, Silvergate Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank were all unique in in their focus on crypto uh, and venture capital. Other U.S. banks are starting to face ALM strains, and the very steep increase in the Fed's fund rate and withdrawal of unconventional monetary policy are combining to reduce bank deposits and weaken bank liquidity. And that's made it harder for those banks to weather this current cycle. Some US banks also have demonstrated weak governance and oversight of ALM risk. Now, the Fed has taken some actions that should be helpful to banks that are under a bit of pressure in this environment, right? Yeah, that's right. So the Fed has announced a new temporary liquidity facility to offer loans to banks against eligible government securities collateral. Uh, to help meet their funding needs and reduce contagion risks. I see. So that will help. But are there still banks that have higher risks and vulnerabilities? Well, yes. Banks with substantial unrealized securities losses and with non-retail and uninsured U.S. depositors could still be more sensitive to depositor competition or ultimate flight. 
which would be negative for their funding, liquidity, earnings, and capital. And then conversely, banks with lower unrealized securities losses, stronger capitalization, and with a more diversified depositor base and a larger share of insured deposits will be more shielded uh, and may benefit from a flight to quality. Thanks so much, Donald. Now, shifting over to Europe, where banks have also felt the effects of recent events in the U.S. Nick, what has been the impact on banks in Europe? Yeah, thanks, Danielle. The most important takeaway, I think, is that outside of the U.S., the consequences for the banking sector are more limited so far. Now, that's not to say that there are no risks outside the U.S. To be clear, Danielle, we're not saying that, but more limited nonetheless. And there are a few reasons for that. Firstly, to date, we've seen relatively little direct exposure in Europe to any of the failed U.S. banks. But probably more importantly, broader contagion is also more limited because balance sheet structures in Europe differ from those in the U.S. in a few important respects. Why is that? What are the most important differences, would you say? Yeah, I think the key one, Danielle, is what we saw in terms of deposit growth over the last uh, few years. Deposit growth peaked at about 10% per annum in the euro area and 15% in the UK. And that compares to 20% in the US, which also saw those much higher growth rates over several years. So what that means is that European banks didn't see the same degree of deposit inflows as their US peers did. Instead, actually, what happened is that euro area banks got cash in from a different source in the euro area. That was the European Central Bank via its targeted long term refinancing operations. And that was very large. That was around about two trillion euros injected into the system. But most of that was actually just recycled directly back to the central bank itself. And we saw something similar in the UK via the Bank of England's equivalent, the term funding scheme, TFSME. So as a result, in terms of securities on the balance sheet, European banks end up with smaller bond portfolios than the US institutions do at about 12% of the aggregate balance sheet. And we saw a similar number in the, in the UK. And that compares to about 24% in the US. So it's a pretty big difference in the composition of assets. US banks have twice as many securities, proportionately speaking. So the shift in balance sheet size and composition was just lesser in Europe than the US. Okay, thanks. Still, there's plenty of volatility in the European banking sector right now. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, Danielle, that's right. There certainly is. And as I said at the start, none of what I said means that there are no risks outside the US, right? We're not saying that. There are differences, but also similarities between European and US banking systems. Pretty obviously, all banks are engaged in maturity transformation and leverage, which bring risk. In a macro sense, both the UK and the euro area are engaged in a fight against inflation, just as in the US. And bond yields, as a result, have risen by a similar degree on both sides of the Atlantic. Both sets of monetary authorities are in the midst of the steepest increase in policy rates for decades. 
And that very sharp tightening comes on the heels of a long period of extensive monetary expansion. Now, of course, banks are confidence sensitive and a confidence shock such as we've seen in the US is bound to have some impact uh, across the Atlantic. So all this means that the positive aspects of rising rates, chiefly expansion of the net interest margin, must now be seen against other factors, notably higher levels of risk aversion, which could make funding more expensive and uh, more selective. Nick, thanks so much. And now, Shireen, over to you. Thanks, Danielle. Turning now to the ripple effects of these bank failures beyond the U.S. and Europe. Eugene, what emerging market financial institutions should we be worried about? Do any have direct linkages to SVB, Signature Bank, or Silvergate? Well, for emerging market banking systems, the impact of recent U.S. bank failures is very limited and reflects the very different dynamics in their asset and liability structures. So most EM banks are funded through diversified retail deposits with limited wholesale funding, and the banks have ample liquidity to mitigate the pressure that may come from deposits or competition. So on top of that, we believe authorities in emerging markets will step in to provide liquidity and capital in the event of financial stress. Banks can also generally repo their large stocks of government securities to get liquidity. And in addition, and reflecting the generally less sophisticated infrastructure within many emerging market financial systems, there are often fewer credible alternatives for depositors to move their funds, which means there's more reliance on brick and mortar traditional banking and digital services in many countries. Okay, let's talk through the second order impacts now. We're seeing a rapid tightening in financial conditions globally as investors flee to safe assets. Are any EM banking sectors more or less at risk in this environment? Can you give us a regional comparison? Well, there's some regional differences. So some banks located in frontier economies, for example, in Africa, hold sizable investments in local currency government bonds many of which are already valued at deep discounts to par, reflecting the higher prevailing market interest rates and thus lower bond prices. But this is not the case everywhere, however. In Latin America, most of the securities are short in tenor and are accounted as trading and available for sale, which reduces the risk of unrealized losses on banks' balance sheets. Furthermore, most Latin American banks maintain a material portion of the balance sheet hedged against interest rate moves. Nevertheless, we do not believe the risk is material across emerging markets or indeed comparable to the asset liability mismatch experienced by Silicon Valley Bank in the U.S. Scott, we have a big Fed meeting coming up next week. There's a lot of speculation about whether there will even be a rate hike, which would have seemed very far-fetched compared to a couple of weeks ago. What are your thoughts now, and what does this mean for EMs more broadly? Hey, Shireen. So firstly, I'll just say, what a week, right? Um, As you uh, said, I mean, there's been a lot of volatility, and it's coming at a time when financial conditions are already very tight. You know, EMs are tackling the combined challenges of high inflation, weaker GDP growth, rising policy rates. 
Now, clearly, there has been a lot of volatility, and we know that EMs are often seen as a higher beta asset class. So, you know, in the short term, sentiment really goes against emerging markets. But as and when the dust settles, we think the focus will return to inflation and growth. Uh, and on that point, our overall expectations are broadly unchanged. And this our overall view that financing conditions for EMs will remain tight is, is fundamentally the same. Now, we think the Fed will still increase the Fed funds rate by 25 basis points next week. If you look at the most recent inflation data and the payroll data, it still points to a strong underlying US economy. Uh, and for this reason, we think the Fed will maintain tightening stance. Now, that being said, you know, financial stability risks are clearly top of mind right now. If banking stress intensifies, the Fed may well pause rate hikes to assess the situation. And it's also possible that the Fed and, and I guess other central banks could convene emergency meetings to provide guidance and obviously stem potential planning. But as I said, that isn't our base case. Now, one thing that is evolving is our long run view on, on the terminal rate. Uh, it is possible we could see some tightening in financing conditions coming through the banking system. Uh, and this may mean that the terminal rate for, for US interest rates could be a little bit lower as, as a consequence. But I think the key point, Shirin, is that we still expect a similar level of overall tightening. And that's why we don't see meaningful changes to our GDP growth expectations or our views on, on financing conditions, which of course is really the most critical thing when, when thinking about EM credit conditions. Scott, Eugene, Nick, Donald, thank you all for the very insightful discussion today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Join us next time for future episodes of both Focus on Finance and Emerging Markets Decoded. And in the meantime, if you have any comments or topic suggestions for future episodes, please feel free to email us at empodcast at moody's.com. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.